want to invite you uh, this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. And we'll begin reading in chapter 11, verse 26. And then we'll read through chapter 12, verse 13. 2 Samuel eleven twenty-six. If you're physically able, would you stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word? When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, And the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children, it shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we read this sobering passage in Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the seriousness of sin and how it must be dealt with, not only for your sake, but for ours as well and for the sake of everyone around us. Speak to us, and may we truly listen, trust, and obey. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
It was such a small thing to begin with. A simple yet understandable dereliction of duty. After all, David was the hero of Israel. David was the one who in his youth went out and faced Goliath like no one else had the courage, the guts to do. David was the one who heard the praises of the women of Israel as he came back and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David's his tens of thousands. He was a national hero. He was the anointed one. And what did all that service to the Lord get him? Well, it got him a lot of persecution because Saul and his jealousy came after him and he hunted him. And Saul had to run, he had to hide, he had to live in caves, he had to bring to himself a group of outcasts, which ended up being known as the mighty men of David. He did almost anything and everything just to get by, just to survive up to and including pretending being absolutely crazy. He lived for years in worry, in Fear of his life because King Saul was coming after him, even though he never harmed a hair on Saul's head. When he had the opportunity, he did not. He cut a little piece off Saul's robe just to prove that he could have harmed Saul. And even that, his conscience was so tender that he was stricken by guilt that he had even touched a piece of Saul's clothing. This was a man who the Bible says had a heart after God's own and he eventually did come to the throne. He eventually did unite the people of Israel. He fought, he served, he achieved. And so when the Bible says at the time that kings go out to war, David stayed at the palace and sent instead his servant Joab. Perhaps no one thought much of it at all. Yeah, David should have gone, but he deserved a break. And on that break, he ascended his tower, and he looked out over the city that he ruled. And he saw a woman there on top of her roof, not visible to anyone else. But if from his elevation, he could see her as she bathed. And he began to desire this woman. And this is not a simple look, Woo, shouldn't look there and go away, but the Bible says that he began to ask and seek information. This was more than a glance. He began to want to find out, who is this woman that I've seen? And, and somehow, as the Bible says, all of the others, he was a king. And kings in those days, they ratified treaties by marrying princes of, of the weaker states. And he was a strong state. And so all of these wives he had, including the ones of the king before him, he had all the beautiful women you could want, and yet they were not enough for him. He finds out, he's thinking, maybe something might happen. This woman, and he finds out, oh, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who's off at battle, who's off at war. Oh, David thought, isn't this convenient? He's far away. The cat's away, the mice can play. This will be fine. He'll never know. It'll not be a big deal. And I will just scratch this little itch that I have. 
And so he sends for Bathsheba, and she comes to the palace, and they do exactly what David intends. She goes back home, and he thinks, that was fun. Time to move on to king stuff. Until he receives a message, an unfortunate message that says, remember me, David? My name's Bathsheba. By the way, I'm pregnant. A child is on the way. And David, I'm sure it upset him. I'm sure it concerned him just a little bit, but he thought, I'm king. I can deal with this. I can make this all go away. So he calls Joab, you know, the one who was fighting in his place, who was commanding down there. He says, sends him a message. He says, hey, uh, summon that guy. What's his name? Um, oh, yeah, that, that Uriah the Hittite. Bring him up here. I want to talk to him. So he brings him up, and he honors him with a with a feast, a dinner at the palace, and, and says, you know, you just deserve some time. Um, you, you go home and uh, wash your feet. And uh, this was kind of a little euphemism. This is go home and do the things at home that you should do. And, and he sends him on his way. And of course, David's neat, leaving nothing to chance, though. And so when his spies that have followed Uriah, when they come back and report, they say, Uriah slept on his front porch. He didn't go in the house. You're not going to be able to cover this up. And David's thinking, what kind of guy is this? What in the world? I've told him to go home, enjoy time with his wife, just have everything the way you want, and he'll be happy. He'll never know. He'll think he's getting another child, and hey, it'll end up being a royal child, and he won't even know it. What a blessing for him. But he has to be an idiot, and he has to mess up my plan by sleeping there on the doorstep of his house. So he calls the man back, and he says, Uriah, uh, I got a strange report. Somebody just happened to notice you slept on your front porch. What, what was that all about? And Uriah said, the men that I fight alongside, and even the captain, even Joab, they are sleeping under the stars. They're camping out. And I should be there with them. I, I, can't, I can't go in and enjoy my house and enjoy my wife when I should be on the battlefield. And I'm going to say, at this point, David, I'm going to imagine anger began to roll through him. You know why? Because he heard in Uriah's words a rebuke to his lack of commitment to his duty. And Uriah Plain old ordinary guy says, I can't do this. I should be on the battlefield. How dare I sit here and enjoy myself in the city of Jerusalem when the men that I fight with, my brothers in arms, are out there. And David takes all this in. And he says, okay, well, the, the plan's still not over. That's everybody has good intentions when they're sober, right? But all I need to do is, you know, get, get a little of the good stuff in him. I need to wine him and dine him. I need to have a, a better party than we had last night. And so when the king says, have another, you have another. You do what the king says. And he brought him back. And that night he became completely stone drunk. But the Bible says, even with all of his inhibitions lowered from alcohol, he didn't do it. He ends up not even going all the way home. He ends up sleeping with the servants at the palace. I can't do it. 
And David says, well, I tried, fella. You know, I really didn't want to harm you. But um, he says to himself, I got to take care of this because I'm the king. And, you know, I represent Israel and, and I can't be having loose ends, says the king. And he sends a messenger to Joab. And he says, Joab, um, this Uriah guy, he's really brave. He's, he's really courageous. And I want to show off what he can do. So you get them all out there. You make them rush in and attack and closer than, you know, would normally make good sense. But you do it anyway with the whole bunch. But then you, by the way, you have a command to all the others. You just happen to forget to tell this, this Hittite the command. But everyone else needs to know to pull back real quick. And so, of course, exactly what David does, what he expects happens. They lunge forward in this dangerous attack. Everyone hears the command. They pull back, but Uriah doesn't know about it. When that horn blows, whatever that signal was, he wasn't ever told what it meant. And he keeps fighting. And he is killed and struck down by the foreign army. And so David says, okay, this guy really, uh, he tested me. You know, he made this hard for me, but it's okay now. And, and, you know, I'm a good guy, so I'm going to do the right thing. So I'm going to let his wife go through the period of mourning and, and everything that's supposed to be observed. And, and there was kind of a, you know, a, an exact amount of time that, you know, that all that had to be observed. And when that period of mourning is over, I'll just bring her in. Nobody's going to notice another wife. I mean, I've got so many already. And, uh, and I'll do right by her because I'll take care of her and the kid. And everything's going to be great. And he deceived himself. You see, every time that we get into sin, there's a choice. Confession or cover-up. Confession or cover-up. We have that choice in front of us. What will I do? Will I pretend like this never existed? Will I cover it up? Or will I stop right now and say, God... I have sinned against you. That's what the right thing is to do. That's what we ought to do. But something within us says, it'll be okay. It was no big deal. It'll be okay. And one thing leads to another, leads to another. And sin simply multiplies. Sin simply festers. Unconfessed sin breeds more sin. And we become more hardened in our hearts and more distant from God and more sure that we are our own gods in a way because somehow we can take out care of all this mess and we really don't need to talk to God about this. Confession, though, what David finally came to the point of when Nathan told this little story about a lamb, he was so angry. But he finally, he finally confessed. I want us to think today, to understand today how important confession is. Because while it's good that he finally did it, I would not want for any of us to wait and to get that far, 
Because we all mess up, we all fall, we all falter, we all sin. I know that's an ugly word, right? In our society, we don't lie, we misspeak. We don't sin, we make a mistake. You know, we, we don't like to talk about moral evil, good and bad. But they exist, whether men and women deny it or not. I want us to think about confession and how it's so important, why it's such a priority. And so I want us to look at three keys this morning. The first is the purpose of confession. We need to understand what confession is all about if we're actually going to be motivated to do it, to confess. Confession is simply coming to God. The purpose of it is coming to God and admitting what you've done wrong. The word confession is, uh, means to agree. You agree with God. So imagine you've been disagreeing with somebody on something, and it's such a vital thing that you can't get along anymore. And finally, someone sees the light, and they agree, and now things are okay. Well, see, here's the thing. God's not stubborn. He's just always right. <laughs> That's not one of those where you can say, well, yes, I'm wrong sometimes, but I'm not wrong all the time. God, you're wrong. No, God's not wrong ever. And so the purpose of confession is to mend this relationship that was broken. 1 John 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, our sins have... Uh, created a barrier between us and God. They create distance. There's no way, no matter how religious you keep talking, how often you read your Bible or pray or do whatever else, when you have unconfessed sin in your life, this distance and this wall continues to grow between you and God. And, and really, all the religious stuff in the world does not make that go away as long as you walk in pride and arrogance. Confession is there so that your relationship with God, which you have damaged by not fessing up, by not acknowledging the truth of what you've done. Confession is there so that space, that gap might be done away with and you might become close to God again. And John assured us, because some of us are going to say, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how big it is. You don't know how long I've done it. And he says, God's faithful and just. That is, there's not a single situation and circumstance where God is not going to listen to you and forgive you. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So that's a purpose of confession. To restore a broken relationship. David had this broken relationship. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of God's kingdom. And yet he has a broken fellowship with God for about a year over this sin. Second key is the paradox of confession. That is, the things about confession that don't seem to make sense, don't seem to, in many people's minds, go hand in hand. Does confession get our sins forgiven? Yes, absolutely. Does confession get our consequences gone? No, absolutely not. We so often think if I go to God and I say, God, forgive me, I'm in this mess, I was wrong. 
God will say, yes, I will forgive you. You were wrong. And guess what? You're still in the mess. I'm going to walk with you through the mess. I'm going to lead you to redemption and restoration. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make you whole again. But you know what? You're going to have some scars from this mess you made. You're going to have some issues. And just because you cried out and said, Lord, save me, doesn't mean that all the consequences of what you've done have gone away. Now, confession can stop further consequences from happening. When David finally confessed, Nathan said, okay, the Lord has heard your prayer. You will not die. In other words, Nathan was saying, God had had it up to here with you, David. And he came to this point that after this work, after sending me as a messenger to you, if you had not at this point confessed, he's going to bring you home. He's going to take you out. And in case you're just thinking, well, that, that's just a, that's an Old Testament type of thing. Oh, no. <laughs> the New Testament has examples as well. And the Apostle Paul, in fact, said, this is the reason that some of you are sick and some even have gone on. The Lord disciplines those he loves, the Bible tells us. And he disciplines and he, and he reaches out to us and he calls to us. But there is a certain point where we have rejected and rebuked and rejected and rebuked. And God says, you know, I can tell you're not going to respond. And he can even bring his believers, his family on home. Because really there's nothing good going to happen from you from this point on. And Nathan said that's exactly what was about to happen to David. But because he finally confessed, no, no further consequence, that one of his own death would not happen. But he was real clear that lots of other consequences would happen. He said, what you did in secret, David, what you covered up, oh, there's going to be some consequences and they're going to be public. And everybody's going to know about it. And as you tore a family apart, your own family, the consequences of your sin are going to reverberate throughout your life and throughout your kingdom. And there's going to be turmoil and there's going to be loss and there's going to be shame. And all these things are going to come from your sin. And so it's so important that we, when we come to God, this is why I talked about what it meant first, what the purpose was. When we come to God, now you can ask him. Sure, do we, would we all like to get out of certain consequences? You can ask him all you want, and maybe in his grace and in his plan, he'll let you out of certain consequences. But the purpose of confession is not getting out of consequences. It's, it's restoring your relationship with God, full knowing that you are going to continue to accept consequences for your behavior, but you're going to accept them knowing that you're right with God and you're walking with him now. The third key is understanding the pain of confession. A lot of times, we don't want to confess because confessing is hard. Confessing hurts. Confessing is painful. It's much easier to duck out of something than to admit our own wrongs and our own sins, whether that's to another human being or God himself. And we think, you know, if I just keep quiet about this, it'll all just blow over. It'll all, nobody will know. Or everybody will forget about this who does know. And we, in our minds, say, I don't want to deal with it. 
And so it's like the sick person who says, I know I'm sick, and the doctor says I need a shot, but that shot's going to hurt. I'd rather just kind of hang on a little bit, you know? We, we have a joke at our house because sometimes uh, we'll, we'll say, you're sick. Yeah, oh, I'm so sick. I'm, uh, and I'll say, well, let's just say how it is. It's just with me and Denise, and she'll say, I'm sick. And, and I'll say, oh, yeah, you are. You're feeling bad. You need to go to the doctor. She'll say, I feel too bad to go to the doctor. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you feel that bad, you got to go to the doctor. Well, you know, that's just a little personality trait. But when we talk about the soul and about God, that's a serious problem. Because we think this problem is so big that I can't go to God with it. It's going to hurt so much. When I admit and when people see what I've done and when there's disappointment and, and, and on and on and on. And this pain of confession keeps us. It's that needle that we don't want so we stay in our sickness. But the reality is the longer we avoid the needle of confession, uh, the longer we avoid the cure of confession, our problem, our sin problem festers and it gets worse and worse, and worse. Boy, that would have been embarrassing for David to fess up at the beginning or a couple stages in. I mean, every step of the way, it was going to be embarrassing, and it just got more and more embarrassing. But it never would have been anything like what it turned out to be had he gone ahead and confessed earlier. And the thing that you and I have to understand is when we're saying, no, I can't confess, I can't be open about this, I, I can't, because it's going to hurt, is that we're kicking that can down the road, but that can is getting bigger. <laughs> I mean, the pain of later, it's never going to get less than to confess now and to stop and to say, God, I'm wrong. God, I've had a hateful attitude. God, I've stolen from someone. God, I, I've, I've told myself it was okay. I, I earned it. I deserved it. And I took or did something I shouldn't do. Whatever the sin is, the more we kick it down the road, the bigger it gets. We have to get to this place in our life where we understand the power that confession has for us. It is the ability for us to get right with God again. Because, you know, the worst thing about not confessing, not only are you dealing with shame and guilt and, and, and your emotions are, are disturbed and maybe even your sleep is disturbed and, and you're not yourself, you're dealing with all the problems and you're dealing with without God, without the one who loves you the most and is your best friend in life. And you and I, if we are wise, we'll learn from a great man who greatly messed up. We will learn that any of us are, are liable. We're, we're, any of us are able to fall into sin. And the longer we deny it, the longer we cover it over, the worse it gets. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive if we confess our sins, we probably stop some further consequences that would have happened if we had kept going. 
And if we confess our sins, even though we will deal with the fallout and the reality of our behavior, we will do it with God by our side. And so I want to just encourage you this morning to make confession a priority anytime you know something's going on. And ask God, God, show me. Now, God's never going to fully, completely answer that prayer when you say, God, show me my sins. You know why? To quote a famous line, you couldn't handle the truth. You and I, if God were ever to pull the curtain completely back and show us every single one of our faults and sins, we would be overwhelmed. Just like we were overwhelmed by a full vision of the glory of God and no one in this side of eternity can see all of his glory. If you and I were to see all of our sickness and sin, it would break us. But God in his love will pull back the curtain just enough to show you what you need to work on, to draw close to him again at that time. And that process of him leading you by his Holy Spirit as you trust in the salvation and relationship you've received through Jesus Christ. And you walk with him day by day. You don't take those detours. Because the further they go, the worse they get. You want to get back on track as soon as you can. And confess. Agree with God. Yes, I've messed up. And it's me. And there's no finger pointing at anyone else. There's no, God, she shouldn't have been on that roof. (laughs) There's no, uh, he should have gone home like I told him to. There's there's no pointing fingers at anyone else, regardless of what else you think someone else might have done bad to contribute to the situation. You say, God, it's me. Because whatever, whoever else did is between you and them. But you want me to fess up, God, I have sinned against the Lord. Let's go to the Lord now. God, you died on the cross to set us free from sin. You died so that we might receive eternal life. We might become a part of your family. You gave us the freedom now to walk as believers. And yet... We inevitably get out of the spirit. We inevitably walk away. We inevitably do wrong. We inevitably fail you. God, you are so gracious to us that when we confess, you're faithful and just to forgive. God, you cleanse us and restore us. And Father, I pray that you would not let the lies of the evil one infiltrate our mind. Even now, I believe that some of us who are, who are thinking about your word and about David in this story, and some of us are thinking about how we need to make things right, Lord, I believe the evil one right now is fighting so hard against that. And he's sending fear and doubt. And what if you admit this and all the possible bad things? And Father, I pray, God, I ask that you would just block that. Father, that you would allow every single person, whether they're listening live or watching this video a week from now or a year from now, God, may they hear from your voice rebuking those lies of Satan. And God, may they come to this place where they say, Lord, I just want to be right with you. I'll live with the consequences because you'll be with me. 
Help us to make confession a priority in our life because we love you and you are our priority in our lives. God, we pray that you would take this time of response as we sing, just as I am, as we, as we come to you. It won't just be a block of our service time. It won't just be a song that we sing. But God, that we would truly take the time in our hearts and minds to bow our heads and to consider and to get things right with you, to make a commitment to confession because we want to be cleansed and we want to walk with you. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.